we all made it. Glad you're here. And uh, I'm Pastor Matthew Steinfeld, and I wanted to uh, extend a warm welcome to all of our guests this morning. And it's glad to see some of our regular attenders back, and um, it's good to worship with you. Our opening hymn is going to be number 78, Great is Thy Faithfulness. You'd stand and sing with me, please.
Christ, let us draw near to God our Father with a true heart to confess our sins and ask Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against You in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, by what we have left undone. We have not loved You with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in his image to the praise and glory of his name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed is the Lord, for he has heard the voice of our prayer. Therefore shall our hearts dance for joy, and in our song we will praise our God. Reading from Psalms 52, verses 1 through 8. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long? You who are a disgrace in the eyes of God. You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. Our second hymn is number two, As the Deer.
First reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 18, verses 1 through 10. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the tree, great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you all may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as, they, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three, sa- three seas of fine flour, finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to, the, to a servant, who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time, this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading comes from the, from the letter of Paul to the Colossians, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 28. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been given, things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now rejoice in what I am suffering for you and fill, <clears throat> fill, up, my flesh, fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission of God gave, to, gave me to present you to the word to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for all for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make them known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of, his, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present, you, present everyone fully mature in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. This morning's gospel reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 10, uh, verses 38 through 42. 
As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the Gospel of Christ. battles are you facing? What's happening in your life today? Or maybe this week, or maybe this year, that you're fighting, that you feel is your opposition. Maybe it's stress, maybe it's health, maybe it's relationships, or just things don't seem to be going right. Colossians 1, Paul makes an argument about there being this battle, this battle between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of the world. Today, I want to share with you one strong point from this text, Colossians 1, and ask you a question. The point is... There is a spiritual battle going on right now in your life in this world. But there's also a question I want to address and think about, and that is, who is Jesus? And what does he have to do with this battle? The battle that's going on in your life that all of us have, this individual, sometimes it's even tailor-made for us it seems, strategic almost, against us. And who is Jesus? And ultimately, how this all works together. Now, in in the scripture reading, we start in verse 15, but let me read some selections from the beginning of Colossians 1, starting in verse 9, that Paul gives as a kind of a lead-in into the text that we'll be studying that is clearly about who Jesus is. Starting in verse 9, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying about you. Paul clearly sees that there is a need for prayer and an urgency. What's he pray for? He prays that God would fill the Colossians with the knowledge of his will, of God's will, through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, what would that do for them? Verse 10, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Now, what does that look like? Bearing fruit, good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. 
And this results in great endurance and patience and joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. And here's the linchpin. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. At the very end, he, he, he names this enemy, the, the dominion or the kingdom of darkness. I don't think it's any coincidence that he speaks about knowledge and endurance and patience and strength and power. Do you feel those things in the midst of your battle? in the midst of your struggle. I think oftentimes we have a Hollywood version of evil in our minds. We think of ogres and orcs and dragons and blood and shadowy figures at the foot of our bed in our nightmares. And in reality, our enemy is far different. Our enemy is attractive. Our enemy is enticing. It's something that we want. It's something that we want to be like. We often have a Hollywood version of evil. Something that I think is, is not so obvious is that the strategy, the strategy of this evil kingdom is not to be big and scary and ugly and intimidating, but to convince you that you aren't strong in Christ. To convince you that you need to hurry because there's, there's no time left. There's no, there's no time for patience. You have to become something Maybe in your mind, or maybe what society, the world tells you, the world that is controlled by this evil dominion of darkness. The strategy is that you're not strong, that you're not capable of doing good work, that you're not capable of making a difference in a world that's so corrupt and seems so evil. That God's unknowable, that the knowledge of God or the spiritual wisdom, what is that even? How, how can we even understand what that is? No strength. There's no glory in this. There's no reason to endure. There's no reason to, to even try, maybe. And it definitely wants us to think that we're not qualified. That there's no way God can love us. Even if God exists, it questions. If this God's so powerful, why would he ever love you? Why would, you ever, why would he ever pick you to do something for him? And as far as forgiveness of sins is concerned, you are way too dirty for that. You see, we have a Hollywood version of evil. The strategy of Satan, the strategy of darkness, is, is shrouded in logic. It's shrouded in beauty. It's shrouded in something that's enticing that makes us think, yeah, that must be true. 
There's a cosmic battle, a spiritual battle that's going on at the present time. And the good news is, is that this battle has been won already. The ending has been determined. The ending has already happened because of what Jesus Christ has done. And Paul will get into that as he answers the question, who is Jesus? And what does all this have to do with each other? Because I don't think it's a coincidence. The battle's already been won. But that doesn't mean that the effects of this, of this, I guess you could say the war has been won, but there's still battle. And that includes us. In this world, in this world of us being Christians, if in fact you are a Christian, against the kingdom of the world. Now what does this have to do with Jesus and what does Paul say about Jesus that informs us about this battle? He says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, maybe to a modern reader, this isn't the best explanation for proving Christ's supremacy because it seems like he's created and he's just an image or an idol of something greater. But that's not necessarily what Paul's saying in the first part of this. Is that Jesus is God in this earth, in this world. He'll get into what that looks like. And the fact that it looks like he's the firstborn or the, the oldest of creation is actually not about Jesus before his earthly ministry, but after. And that too will be explained soon. Because he says, for by him all things were created, all things not just in creation, in heaven, in earth, but all things, visible, invisible, he is the authority behind the kingdom of heaven. He is the authority behind all things. All things respond and submit to him. It's hard to be created if you are the creator. And not only does it say, Paul says, that Jesus created all things, but everything was created for him. So we could say that the world that we live in is ultimately supposed to be a function and a representation of what God is like, of what Jesus is like. He goes on, he says, he's, he's before all things. We've, he holds everything together. Now, this is where he's getting at when he says he's the firstborn. In verse 18, he says he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn among the dead. Which means that when Jesus died on the cross and he came back to life to live within this kingdom that he inaugurated, Paul is saying in verse 15, he's the firstborn over all creation. Meaning that he is the first of this new inaugurated kingdom that we are now a part of as believers. He's the beginning of the firstborn among the dead, those who resurrect into the spiritual life of God so that in everything he may have the supremacy or the highest rank. 
How do we know that Jesus is divine? It says God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him in order to reconcile things to himself, all things. If we have a Hollywood version of evil, that it may not actually appear and look and feel like we imagine it would. Maybe we have a Hollywood version of Jesus that we often see depictions of Jesus, maybe a picture on the wall or a, within a church. And he's so nice and his hands are clasped and he's praying and he's... He's meant to be this loving, kind, accepting person. And he is. But what if we diminish who he is by just keeping this nice, flowery perspective of who he is in our minds? What if we fail to see him as God himself, as a king? as divine, as the creator of the universe by which you live and breathe and sustain. Not by yourself, but by him. And what does that have to do with this cosmic battle that's going on and the individual spiritual battle that's going on in your life? I was thinking this week, I was afraid, I was afraid that the people that attend this church and the guests that come that, that are on their trips to Vilnius or through the Baltics or wherever they're going, maybe in Europe, and they come in and they see this beautiful room with the, with the, the chandeliers and the organs and the nice sculptures, and it's peaceful in here, isn't it? A little bit too chilly, but it's peaceful. And I'm afraid that they come in here, that I come in here, and we just say to each other, this is nice. That this is just a nice place of peace. And Paul's saying that this is a war room. This is headquarters. This is ground central for this community of believers to fight a battle that we are engaged in, whether we know it or not. And the crazy part is, is that if we have this kind of Hollywood version of Jesus and this Hollywood version of a battle, then when we walk about our daily lives and we see our problems and our issues and we think, why is this happening to me? It means that we have no idea that we are in the midst of a battle. If evil's enticing, if evil is attractive, right? It is, or we wouldn't do it. Then why wouldn't it be the strategy, the best strategy of evil to convince you that you are not in the midst of a spiritual battle? Why is this happening to me? It's because you're a target. You are important for the kingdom because if you can be convinced that you aren't in a spiritual battle, then that's the most strategic thing that any army commander 
or general could do for their enemy. And if we come in here and we look around and we see the nice pretty things and think, oh, isn't Jesus nice? He's just a Facebook meme that makes me feel special inside. And we miss the true nature of who he is and what he's done for us. And if it's so important that this divine being, Jesus, becomes a human being and dies on the cross, then how much more important is it for us to die with him and to receive the spirit to live a life that we can't do? See, the strategy against you is that God thinks you can do it. God's your best friend and is behind you and believes in you. But that's not necessarily true. If God thought that you could do his will and fight his battle, he would not have sent Jesus. Do you see that the gospel is so essential to this battle? The reason God sent Jesus is because we can't do it. He doesn't have a 12-step program for our improvement. He says, you must die. Why? Because like Jesus who died, who died for our sins, he was resurrected. And because he was obedient to God, as God himself. He was given supremacy. And because Jesus is at the apex of authority in the universe and in the world, he has the ability to give his power to whoever he wants, and that's the believer. Jesus and God are not interested in you improving, they're interested in you dying and becoming like him in your resurrection in this life, now and in the future. Do you see that you're in a spiritual battle? And that it's so easy for us to want to avoid it and just, I just wish things were happy and easy and that's a totally natural thing to feel. But once we get rid of this kind of Hollywood view of evil and of Jesus, we start to see things for what they really are, that your life is the realest thing that you can imagine, that this spiritual war is the realest thing that we can imagine, and that it's so terribly important for us to be serious and to take Jesus serious. And as pretty as these things are, it should be a reminder of the reality, not the reality itself. There's more. When I say that God wants you to die and he wants you to be raised in his spirit, I think Paul agrees. He says that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, if everything was created for Jesus and by Jesus, then it seems natural that Jesus would want to redeem that which has been held hostage and taken captive by this other kingdom. He's rescuing. 
And if we dumb down Jesus into just being this nice character that's, that comforts us and, and likes to hold cats and sheep and pictures that we see on the internet, then we diminish what he has been sent to do. And that's rescue us from ourselves. And not only that, but to give us power and to give us knowledge of God that seems so mysterious at times and to give us redemption and endurance and patience. A patience that is so great that we can withstand anything that comes at us that is spiritual because we know that we've already won in Christ. Not only in this world, but in the, especially in the one to come. We're in a cosmic battle. And it's going on right now. Maybe even in here at this moment. Causing you to think that can't be, that can't be right. Doubts. Fear. Hopelessness. That is the strategy of evil in your life. You have to con- bat it. We have to fight it with the gospel. There's such a great hope in Jesus and what he's done for us. As we think about this text and we ask the question, who is Jesus? It's important to look at texts like this where Paul gives very, very strong statements about who he is. Very, very bold claims. But as you listen to this, how does Jesus fit into your life, into your individual battle or struggle or what you face? Because I think Paul would agree that Jesus has a very, very tight-fitting place where he can slip into that problem or issue that you have. And it may not be about fixing the problem, but teaching you to be like him in the midst of that problem. See, the battle's already won. He's not out to have you solve the problems. What he wants is our obedience to do good in the midst of our problems and to know that our efforts matter but it's that it's his effort that matters the most, and that's already been completed. Are you willing to go against the world's wisdom and rest in this? Or do you want to still maybe hang on to this, if you do, hang on to this kind of Hollywood version of Jesus? He's just this nice person that we talk about on Sundays. Jesus ultimately defeated Satan and evil in this world through the gospel, through his death and resurrection. How might you apply that to your life, to your current battle that's still waging between you and everything that is against what Jesus is. Let's take a, a time of silence for reflection and prayer. Just to take a moment to think about who Jesus is and what has he done that affects me? How does it affect my life? How does it affect the battle? 
that we experience every day in this broken world. And then after that, after a few moments of reflection, we'll stand and say the Apostles' Creed, a statement about what Christians believe and have always believed. So if you would, just take a couple moments. If you would, stand with me as we recite the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always, and also with you. Christ, for our standing in Him, that not only are we forgiven, but we're given the power of the Spirit, His Spirit, Your Spirit, that allows us to endure and to have hope and to have compassion, even though people aren't compassionate towards us, God. Thank You so much for the Gospel that moves us to love as You've loved us. We pray that we would continually remind ourselves at this church of what you've done. And please give us the strength to remember. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we pray for Star and Rick and Melissa and Jeff and Emily and people that are incredibly important to this church who are moving on. And we pray that you would continually comfort them as they leave, as they reflect, as they travel, as they transition to their new activities and life and jobs. Please be with them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we pray for this, this city, Vilnius, our country, Lithuania, our homes. If we're not from Lithuania, God, I pray that you would continually move, that your spirit would fall on people, and that they would see the great battle that's happening, and that they would trust you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we'll conclude with the Lord's Prayer. It's printed on the, the sheet. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our final hymn today is number eight in the hymnal, How Great Thou Art.
now receive the Lord's benediction. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.